mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Welcome to Life and Art from FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and this is our Friday chat show. This week, we are talking about the newest album by the rock band Sleater Kinney. It's called Little Rope. Sleater Kinney is an all-woman feminist punk band from Olympia, Washington, born out of the riot girl movement of the 90s. They've just come out with their 11th album, now with two of the founding members, Carrie Brownstein and guitarist Corin Tucker. They're an iconic band, and today we're going to talk about their new album and what exactly has happened to angry music like theirs over the past 30 years. To have this conversation, we've called the doctor. Joining me from London is the FT's music critic, Arwa Hader. Hi, Arwa. Hey, how's it going? Um, also in London with Arwa is our magazine editor. His, oh God, <laughs> his whole life is Bye. like a picture of a sunny day. <laughs> it's Matt Vela. Hi, Matt. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you. Um, so to start off, why don't we set the scene for listeners who may have never heard of this band? Who are Slater Kinney? How would you describe their sound? How would you describe what they represent? Uh, maybe Arwa, our expert. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm not sure I'm an expert, but certainly <laughs> Slater Kinney. Um, yeah, they started out as a young band um, in Washington, in Olympia, Washington, mm-hmm. and came out of a scene uh, that was being described as Riot Girl at the time, and that's mm. girl spelt with a triple R, um, which is a, a kind of feminist offshoot of, of punk, which really harnessed a sort of DIY ethos, very polemical, but just also really gutsy and funny and punchy lyrics, um, mm. raw, um, stripped back as it wanted to be. Um, and by the time the band were well known here in the UK, where I grew up, uh, it was around 97. It was their third album, Dig Me Out. And I think I kind of heard about who they were supposed to be before I heard the music. I I, I think people were very impressed that there were these like, bold, um, upfront women. Um, yeah. They weren't my favourite band at the time, but they kind of captured a, a spirit of energy that that definitely resonated with me as, a, you know, as, as someone who came of age in the 90s. Mm, what was that spirit? Just the idea that, you know, you could kind of, be what you wanted to be in the world. And I think also for me as a young woman, um, it, it was very inspiring. I didn't feel that, you know, I, I was at a point in my life where I was really questioning, am I doing the right thing? Am I presenting the right way? Am I being mm-hmm. feminine enough? Am I not feminine enough? Um, and it was very refreshing to be, I guess, confronted with this uh, other possibility. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Matt, what about you? Well, I mean, like most things, I stumbled into them because of a girl, I think I followed somebody to a to a show in college. Um, I had experienced grunge from a distance, but I I wasn't sort of. It was it was at a remove. It was intermediated by MTV, and I just ha- stumbled into a show um, of Slitter Kinney's, and it was like, okay, I can be part of that, you know. Hmm. And, and even though the music isn't grunge, and there's a distinction but it was sort of like my kind of entry point into that 
that kind of music. There are a lot of loud voices in punk and there's a lot of shouting, but Corn Tucker's voice in particular is so strong and clear and like it it, it was aggressive, but it got through. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I left that show like a fan for life. And I mean, I don't even remember who, who I was going there to, you know, whatever. <laughs> the girls <laughs> fell away uh, and, the, <laughs> yeah. and the band. And all that was left was the music. Yeah, yeah. I graduated from high school in 2007, so I feel like I was kind oh, of a, uh, sorry. I look generation not allowed. <laughs> late for Sleater Kinney in a way. When I was in high school, The Woods yeah. came out, that album. Um, and my best friend in high school was very cool. And uh, she put Modern Girl on a mix CD for me, and I listened to it over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd love to talk about this new album, Little Rope. It came out last Friday. Uh, we've all been listening to it. Uh, here's a clip from a song that they're promoting uh, pretty actively called Say It Like You Mean It. Okay, top line. Um, what did you both think of this album? Matt, what did you think? Um, well, I had this strange kind of experience because... If I'm being honest, as big of a fan as I am, it's not like their old albums had been in heavy rotation for me lately. So it was right. definitely a bit of a, of a return. And so at first it, it felt a bit nostalgic. I, but then I, you know, I listened to it over and over again and a few tracks really stood, stood out as maybe some of my favorite tracks of theirs, in, including the one we just heard. Mm, that was one of your favorites? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arwa, what about you? Yeah, I'm... I mean, similarly, I, I guess it kind of the nostalgia that I felt was much more about myself than the band because mm. actually, I've got to say I really enjoyed just like giving this album time and like really relishing. Um, and Matt kind of quite re- rightly referred to like the strength of um, Corin Tucker's vocals, but just there's such a there's such a gloriously strong melody there mm. as well. I think when you go back to listening to the earlier tracks that they did, the, the the earlier albums on their repertoire, they sound a lot more polished now. You know, there's mm-hmm. a much more measured sense, I think, of what they do. There are certainly elements that sound kind of quite 90s in style. But what I really enjoyed was that they sounded like uh, women that have grown into their own skin. And I'm listening to it as a woman that's grown into my own skin. And mm-hmm. there was something very rewarding about that. Yeah, yeah. They feel older, not in a <laughs> insulting way, and in sort of like a <laughs> no, but that the, sounds like shade. <laughs> but no, but no, yeah, they- yeah complete the fact that they don't feel apparently. I mean, I'm reading in, but like the need to, it just feels like they're singing the songs and doing the songs that they want to do for themselves and not for for any other reason. It's not like a rehash of old sounds and styles necessarily. Just It just really feels like it's intentional, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, like, that would suggest they are grown into themselves or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that song in particular, I mean, as I understand it, right after they started recording, Carrie Brownstein's parents died in a, in a car accident. And Corrin wrote this song to Carrie, you know, say it like you mean it. And it's, like I find the song to be incredibly powerful and, and it's nothing on the page. You know, it's not po- 
poetry, but it's, it's all in the performance. And I just found that this idea that you just need to tell people what you have to tell them while you can, very powerful after this whole period of separation and, and just very powerful. I agree. Um, and I went to the album feeling sort of like I was expecting it to be uh, young, energetic, mad Sleater Kinney, to have the same um, sort of energy. Fire. And when I started to listen, I thought, wow, this feels a little bit poppier um, than I remember them. But poppier didn't feel like the right word. Um, it felt more accessible. I totally get what you're saying. I think when I was listening to it, I was thinking that it does sound more polished, but actually from that first track on the album, Hell, like, you know, they they can they yeah. can kind of, yeah, yeah there, there's they a rise energy there as well. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that cuts through lots of different tracks on the album, which I really enjoyed. I would love to talk a little bit more about how this album fits into their discography. I find it really useful to compare their new work to their old stuff. So I'm going to play a clip of their breakthrough song, Dig Me Out, from 1997, just so listeners can get a sense of their early sound. How do you feel like this album holds up against their sort of catalog? What makes this album work for me and what's, you know, what makes them still very captivating at their best as a band is the fact that they're not striving to be something they're not. Uh, I don't think, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in your late 40s pushing 50 that you want to pretend you're 20, why, why <laughs> right. should you? You know, you've done that and mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with, you know, really embracing where you are now with all the life experience that you've got and, you know, also embracing the turmoil of that age, not just the comfort that your um, success may have brought you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it's also it just got me thinking, it's weird to kind of be saying this in 2024, but we don't have a culture of like heritage acts that are female, do we? So I mean, true. you know, rock music has always been, you know, you've got quite elderly bands that have been going forever who are male. <laughs> um, and, and we just don't have that with women. And part of the reason, I guess, is that you're sort of female artists. So I guess we're, we're, we're packaged in a way that, that may have been construed to have a sell-by date, which is rubbish, mm -hmm. obviously, but... Mm -hmm. I hope, we're, I hope we're past it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to move on to the last section, which is looking at the legacy of Sleater Kinney against what's happening in music today. Um, and my main question is just why we don't have more like it. Um, it feels like we're all still really angry, but our music is less angry. Like there's, you know, there is like a feminist punk sound coming back in people like Olivia Rodrigo and I love her album Guts, but it's still pop. Like she's still in the machine <laughs> and it feels like we don't really have counterculture angry like we used to. Um, but maybe I'm not seeing something obvious. Are you feeling that too? Thought, what do you think? I don't agree with that entirely, but at the same time, I think it's a really interesting question because I think obviously we don't have the same um, kinds of bands or we wouldn't have exactly the same movement because the movement reacts against what's around it and it's right. not just that the individuals have changed it's that the landscape has changed you know the, the whole music industry is in a state of flux now in the way that it wasn't in the early 90s when say Riot Girl was conceived mm -hmm. so 
in many ways, the the kind of modes of expression that a lot of these early 90s bands like people, you know, Bikini Kill or mm-hmm. in the UK we had Huggy Bear, they raged really hard and they did things their own way and they didn't collude with what was actually quite a regressive era in terms of the pop in terms of the pop and rock mainstream. Mm. So I think artists are by necessity much more DIY in their approach because they have to be. You know, there, mm. there isn't, you know, if you want to be a mainstream artist, you haven't got the same props to to kind of hold you in place. I mean, that yeah. that thing about the context is so interesting because one of the big elements of Riot Girl was all these kind of oppositional technologies like zines, you know, sort of DIY, Xeroxed magazines were were a huge part of that. VHS records, you know, that all that stuff enabled them to create um, a space for the ideas and for people who wanted to, you know, talk about the music or or be a part of the scene. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was listening to is that, you know, so much of that has changed and gone away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're encouraged to think about the internet as this kind of infinite space, but it, it feels like that space is also narrowed, mm-hmm. you know, as the, as the sort of way that you make money as an artist in the music business has has narrowed. I'm just curious about like, you know, when you're a really big act, how how much your management of the fans and the management of the audience and all that stuff, how much that pulls focus from actually making the music and mm. whether it's limiting in some way that uh, an artist like Slitterkinny wasn't limited, you know. Yeah, that pressure on socials because the connection with fans being so intimate and so in- instantaneous, there's just this sort of pressure to constantly generate content and the idea that things are incredibly hyped but incredibly ephemeral now. Mm-hmm. But then in contrast with that, you have a, 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 an act on their 11th album. So mm-hmm. um, I think that, yeah, that is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my final question is just what this album makes us want more of. Like, did it scratch the itch or did it leave you wanting uh, something from other music that you're not getting? I I guess I approached it with curiosity rather than a really sort of, you know, loaded expectation Mm -hmm. Uh, and nostalgia as well. But it definitely left me uh, wanting more of something I've been thinking about a lot, which is just embracing the rage and beauty and grief and energy of, you know, being in midlife, I guess. I want to hear that and see that as much as possible. Um, and and it was, I think, pretty exhilarating to hear that come across in a way that felt fully formed, but but also quite unbridled in some ways. Mm. Mm. What, what, how would you answer that question? Um, I guess I liked being able to go back to like the sort of like first years of a band from 30 years ago and then hear where they've settled in now. I was listening to a couple of Uh, interviews with them. And they sounded pretty content. You know, they were talking about their creative process. They sounded like they said exactly what they meant to say. And I kind of wanted more of that, like all of the (laughs) all of the music that's being fed to me in my algorithm from uh, from high school and college on Spotify. I just I wanted sort of the new version of those bands, too. Yeah, I mean, I agree with both of you. I would say like, what was so great about this is it wasn't a nostalgia trip. And yes. 
it was just true without like feeling like performative of the truth or this is my truth. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm now I am delivering my truth to you. You know, it just was like, (laughs) this is what it is, which is great and, and authentic and too rare, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Arwa, Matt, this was so interesting. Thank you both so much. Uh, We will be back in just a minute with more or less. From the special investigations team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The retreat. The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast. Coming this January. Welcome to More or Less, the part of the show where each of us talks about one thing that we want more of or less of culturally. Uh, okay, Arwa, what's yours? I'd like a return to more daytime raves, I think. More, more oh, daytime cool. parties, matinee raves. Um, I went out to um, something that's, that's already a very established success. Um, the, the DJ and writer, Annie Mack, she runs a party called Before Midnight, which is what it sounds like. It, it kind of starts in the evening and it wraps up before midnight. Um, which sounds like it's music for old people. And, and there's some <laughs> element of that. But it got me thinking about around the, the turn of this century when, you know, you could go out on a Sunday and I did go out on a Sunday often and you could sort of start, you know, early in the morning. Like I remember I used to go to a, a party called Sunnyside Up, which literally started at 6am. And then you could go over to <laughs> Lazy Dog, which was run by Ben Watt from Everything But The Girl in the afternoon. And then you could wrap things up with um, Sunday Best, which went on till about midnight. And I just think having space to dance around the clock is always a really good thing, whatever age you are. So I'd like more of that. I Mm. love that. I want more of that too. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, what about you? Uh, Well, mine's a lot less (laughs) (laughs) high-minded and joyful. But uh, in the Weekend Magazine this week, Tim Harford, our economics columnist, has written a cover story about deep fakes and AI and Mm. what, what sort of happens um, in a world of prevalent disinformation. And, you know, one of the theories is that the more bad fakes we see, sort of like fake literate, we all become. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like the Pope and the Prada puffer, which wasn't real. <laughs> so I kind of want to see some more bad fakes. Um, yeah. You know, knock on wood, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm going to relive, hate this. But for now, that's my answer. What about you, Lila? Um, Mine is inspired by Arwa. Uh, I want more going to small venues to see music, uh, at least for myself this year, and fewer big arenas. I went to a show at this jazz club in New York, the Blue Note, which is this kind of old school institution, um, to see this jazz singer, Samara Joy, um, who will be on the show oh, in the great. coming yeah, month or great. so. She's incredible. And uh, man, live jazz, like what a delight. <laughs> Sorry to tell you all what you already know, but being in a really small room, like with a live band and a really big voice uh, was really awesome. I had a really great time. 
I can imagine that sounds great. And I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, that, that idea of epiphany and revelation that, mm. you know, it might be like, oh, well, we know that already. Well, you don't, because that's what makes music and arts and culture so phenomenal, because it will always hit you at any point totally. in your life as, as being this incredible revelation. Yeah. Uh, our what Matt, this was uh, really thought-provoking um, and really wonderful. Thank you both for being on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks. That's the show. Thank you for listening to Life and Art from FT Weekend. Take a read through the show notes. We have relevant links and discounts for a subscription to the Financial Times. Great discounts. We also have ways to stay in touch with me and with the show, whether that's by email, on X, or on Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my incredible team. Katya Kumkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a lovely week and we'll find each other again on Monday.